So do you live in Anyhanger? Yes, I do. Do you know anything about Auckland Light Rail? Uh, I've heard a few things. Um, I don't know all the details. I know that joining the airport to Onihanga to the city uh, and, yeah. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on it? I think the concept is really good. Uh, I don't know how it's going to be executed and whether it's the best option or not, but it's better than nothing. Uh, Because at the moment, there's basically no public transport to the airport, which is just appalling, considering we're supposed to be a a major city. So we need something. And you know it's not just about the airport, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Because the whole point of it is to... To actually have some public transport in Auckland, (laughs) you mean? (laughs) To actually have some public transport in Auckland. Welcome to Imbi. Are you more of a NIMBY, not in my backyard, or a YIMBY, yes in my backyard? Well, I'm sure it all depends. I'm Rachel Sturgis, and in this brand new podcast from Unihanger FM, I'm taking a look at infrastructure projects being planned in my backyard. In this first episode, I'm digging into what light rail actually is and what it means for Unihanger. We'll explore its complicated history throughout the past 15 or so years, the issues of public transport, congestion, and yes, we can't ignore it, climate change. It's fair to say that most of the people I spoke to on the streets of Anihanga had the same views. We need better transport. But they weren't sure about Auckland Light Rail, about what it is and where it's going. I spoke with Alec Tang, who's an Anihanger local and a bit of an expert on transport and climate change. So so my current role, the, the work I do, well, actually the work I've been doing for a long time is helping organisations, various different kinds of organisations, understand sustainability, climate change, and, and effectively try and help them deal with what is a complicated subject and a subject that impacts a whole bunch of different areas for their operations and really try and help them navigate through that change. What is your opinion on the light rail project as a project that um, is aimed at connecting Aucklanders to each other and making Auckland congestion-free, which is kind of the whole point of it really, isn't it? It it, it is, but this is the point where, you know, to answer that question, you do need to go back and appreciate why something like light rail why increasing the nature of public transport the connectivity of public transport is so important for a city like well for any city yeah but fundamentally one of the critical things is from a climate perspective we know that we need to reduce our production of greenhouse gas emissions carbon dioxide um, methane all those kinds of things and for Auckland one of the largest sources of greenhouse gas emissions, about 40% of our region's emissions comes from vehicles, from from transport. And so one of the big things about increasing public transport provision is fundamentally to reduce those transport emissions. So that's one key 
thing that we're trying to do as a whole and light rail plays one part of that right a- another key thing about it is is we also have lots and lots more people in the city and we will have more and more people in the city mm. we are predicting we stroke the council stroke the government are predicting that there's an increase in population and the key thing there is when we think about how those people are going to move around we simply can't move around or those people and us up, we can't move around in the same way that we have done. So if we think that we have congestion issues on our roads right now, if we amplify that, if we think about some of the current developments that we're seeing in places like um, Mount Roskill and Wesley, and if those people who eventually move into those homes try and move around the city in the same way, we are just going to get a whole bunch more congestion. So with that in mind, with that kind of bigger picture goal, then, then a project like Light Rail, and the contribution to building a different way, a, a more connected network yes. of getting around the city is absolutely critical. Right. In all my research into this, it's not a nice to have anymore light rail or mass transit as it's kind of more known as. Yeah, it, it's arguably what we've seen is an historic underinvestment in this kind of way of moving around in the city. And what we're doing is we're catching up, which means that um, yeah, there is there is a level of investment that we're not used to because we haven't done it before. And we actually have to go much further than, than we perhaps would have done if we already had the bones of a network or, or actually fundamentally if we hadn't ripped out the bones of a network that we had historically. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, hindsight's amazing. And, and sometimes what we th- see and think is moving us forward, we look back and we go, ah, oh, you know, well, actually, now that we know more, maybe we would have done things differently. Okay, so Simon, um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And I think some people are under the misconception that Auckland Light Rail, just uh, the whole idea of it came in with um, the Labour government in 2017. But actually, it goes way back on that. Um, Do you know much about that? Well, it does go all the way back. It's one of one of the things that many Aucklanders are fond of saying. Why didn't we listen to Robbie? Oh you yes, know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor Dovemeyer Robinson yeah. proposed light rail for Auckland, and since his time, sixties, um, seventies, there have been a range of proposals for how you develop uh, what in Europe and America they call transit. Yes, uh, mass transit or ra- and or rapid transit, moving large numbers of people on designated routes. That's Simon Wilson, senior writer at the New Zealand Herald. He focuses on Auckland and covers politics, the climate crisis, transport, housing, urban design and other urban issues. And the light rail proposal has been an idea kicking around that would bring Auckland into line with Australian cities, European and American cities, Mm. where the idea of what used to be trams, now modern trams, are capable of moving a large number of people. They are they are more capable of moving large numbers of people than any other transit system you know, for the price. Yes. Yeah. So, and that's that's what their appeal lies in. Matt Lowry is the editor of Greater Auckland, the Auckland Transport and Urban Design blog. We spoke about the role of Greater Auckland. So we're an advocacy group that tries to make Auckland better and. The, the way we focus on it, or the areas we focus on are urban in the sense of primarily transport, but also to, to a smaller degree housing. Those are often two sides of the same coin. And so we have a, a lot of discussion around how Auckland evolves, our transport, the transport plans for Auckland, how it could be better, you know, what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, those types of discussions. And we do that in relatively often quite you know, longer form blog posts as opposed to just 
you know, we want this bit of things. So we look into the evidence and dive deep into business cases and, and those types of documents to try and understand why the industry is, you know, why things are being proposed the way they are. So can you touch on some of the points about Auckland Light Rail, Matt? There was a study that was done by the government who were sceptical of the City Rail Link. It's called the City Centre Future Access Study. And what it looked at and said is even with the City Rail Link and the way that public transport growth was occurring and Auckland growth was occurring, even the city, with the City Rail Link, it, we wouldn't have enough tra- public transport capacity in the city centre to deal with with moving enough people around. And so we would have walls of buses travelling through the city centre and that almost sealed the deal for the city rail and saying why we need to get that built because we need we need that plus all these other things. And that we need to also find another another way of dealing with all those buses that are that are in the city centre. And that was that was sort of the genesis of it. And then Auckland Transport went off and looked to what can we do to, to change that situation and, and looked at a number of different options and what they came up with was light rail on the isthmus. So it's looking at, at Dominion Road but potentially a couple of other roads and that was going to be mainly about as far as Mount Roskill um, and so that was a, a light rail route and potentially a couple of other routes as well like Mount Eden Road and Sandringham, um, possibly Manukau Road as well. Mm. Those were looked at as options. At about the same time, we were having a discussion about how do we connect the airport to the city and, and the wider network with really good quality public transport. They were looking at various options, heavy rail, light rail, busways. And when this had been looked at previously, you know, about five, ten years earlier, it was decided that we would have a, a heavy rail connection from Odihanga through to the airport to, to and out to Manukau. And one of the reasons that was chosen over light rail, which was investigated at the time as well, and they, they came up pretty similar, mm. but one of the reasons why we were choked, went with the, the, the heavy rail option was because, well, there's no light rail. We'd have to build the entire line in through the isthmus. And then the, the, that changed by the fact that we were going to have to build light rail on the isthmus anyway because to deal with this bus congestion issue, the, the equation changed. And that is we have already got it most of the way there, well, a decent portion of the way there. It's, it's actually much cheaper to extend that line to the airport than it is to build a, a dedicated heavy rail line mm. there. Mm. And... That was sort of why they got joined up and became a single project. And that's how that came about. So heavy rail wasn't seen as a possibility because it was more expensive to build and light rail made more sense because it was cheaper. Well, it was a case of the light rail was going to be was going to be a decent portion of the way there already. And so it made sense to extend that for a cheaper cost than it was to build heavy rail. Um, when Phil Goff stood for mayor, he adopted that route as part of his policy yeah. platform. Labour then had also adopted it in 2017 when they won the election. And then they took it over from Auckland Transport. And then they sort of got sidetracked for various reasons. But essentially, Labour got distracted by a tunnel option and tunnelling. And that's what's been going on today is they're still looking at those sort of options and trying to justify that. Obviously, there's a lot of concerns. There's a great deal of impact for a project like this. And, um, you know, we need to do a listening. And I'm very pleased to say that our most recent consultation in Onihanga was very fruitful. Got a lot of feedback. Yeah, my name's Tommy Parker, and I'm the CEO of Auckland Light Rail Limited. I've spent my career planning and delivering transport projects and transport systems, both in New Zealand and around the world. How did you become involved in the Auckland Light Rail project, Tommy? So I came on board in 2021 and led a process to review the indicative business case. So that's really just showing that there is a key, you know, proposition um, and that it makes sense. That went through cabinet and was approved. 
um, end of 21, early 22. Um, and then I was asked to, if I would lead the establishment of a delivery company to take it through the detailed business case, the consenting through to reference design through to the construction phase. You're no stranger to any hangar, are you? Um, I was fortunate enough to work for many years with Walker Katahi NZTA and did work in Onehanga on a number of previous projects. What projects were they? So I first worked in Onehanga with the um, duplication of the Manukau Harbour Crossing back in 2010. And part of that, I negotiated with Toes and with the other locals around the foreshore enhancement. So I'm proud to say that the foreshore work that was done back then as part of that project was something that I supported and got through. Uh, since then, there's been various other projects that have touched on on Onehanga and most notably the East-West Link, which I wasn't directly involved by that stage. I was running the national team, but it was under my um, oversight, if you like. So where are you up to with the project at the moment, Tommy? A lot of your, your listeners will be aware that this project's been around for a long time and been talked about in various different guises and various different ways. We set up the company last October and we've been working very hard since and doing a lot of good work. We understand the issues. We understand the opportunities a lot more than we did. And pleased to say that we still believe there's a very strong business case for the project. And you're working on the detailed business case, is that right? Yes, we're also progressing the the consents. And what about the bridge, the crossing that's going to go over the Monaco Harbour to South Auckland? Um, we have been working up designs for the, the Monaco Crossing adjacent yeah. to the existing motorway bridge. That requires a different consenting process. It doesn't come right. because it's a coastal consent rather than an NOR. So we're running that in parallel, but but together. Um, do you have any idea at all of the timeline for lodging the notice of requirement um, and all the consents needed for the project, Tommy? Um, we wouldn't be looking to lodge a notice anytime before the new year. So we have got time to continue to engage, work out. We're looking yeah. to, to continue ongoing discussions with the local boards, with the local stakeholders, and we're happy to respond to any requests if anybody wants more information or has particular interest. And what's next for the project? We still need to finalise station routes and locations as we go through detailed design. We're making great progress and it was great to get the feedback from the community. And how did that go? Um, we had 75% of those we heard for from were in favour of the project. Not, of course, I've got concerns. I want to see how it be involved and how it progresses. So why do you think there is a case for light rail in Auckland? Yeah, look, all these sort of livable city surveys in Auckland always have congestion at the top of this disadvantage or the number one negative factor. Got the stats here somewhere. 80 hours stored in congested road, the average New Zealander spends a year, which costs us 1.3 billion mm. a year in terms of lost productivity. As we stand here, there are currently 400 cities in the world developing light rail and metro uh, rail systems. So there's a huge amount of you know, evidence and experience for us to, to draw upon. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're one of the last cities to, to address this problem, not, mm. not one of the first. So we need to learn those, those lessons. So Tommy, the preferred route has now been confirmed as going down State Highway 20. And I heard through the community grapevine that some sort of raised viaduct may have to be built between State Highway 20 and Unihunga train station, which will drastically affect the Lagoon and Beechcroft Avenue. Um, is there any truth in that? We are looking at, at possible elevated 
options. Now, these have to be dealt with very sensitively and where we go forward, but also need to fit in to the, you know, the urban fabric. And we're talking about change. We're talking about what Onihung is going to look like in 20, 30, 40 years time. And it will be a very different urban form from what we see today. So what would encourage your listeners to think about is not, you know, the, the viaduct is, is is what in terms of today's only hunger, but could it be, you know, could it be part of the future? Now we haven't, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. It is going to impact only hunger quite a bit, isn't it? There will be different impacts and different opportunities when it comes to how we come through only hunger. Mm. And what we're trying to do, and what we think is best, is that we're trying to get the the station towards the center of the town. You don't, if you had the station out on the motorway, whilst it would have less impact, it would also be less accessible. So there's a trade-off. But by moving it into the town centre, yes, there will be an impact and that needs to be worked through and, and designed sensitively. So here we come to the nub of the matter, how it's designed and what sort of impact it has on our neighbourhood. Everything of infrastructure has an impact and it's just what, um, what you can tolerate or what suits your style. That's Amanda Wellgreen, and she's pretty well placed to comment on the project and how it will affect Onihanga. So I have lived in Onihanga since 2010 when I moved to Auckland. Um, I picked it as an area because of its locality and within Auckland, and it was quite central. And then after I had my daughter six years ago, I took on a role with the Onihanga Business Association and a year later took on the role as the town manager. Onihanga Business Association primarily looks to make Onihanga an attractive area to do business in and our business currently focuses in the town centre so it's predominantly retail and services and hospitality. So we have about 450 members in Onihanga and we're potentially looking at expanding, which would take our membership up to about 1,100 members. So that's how many businesses operate in Onihanga. And what's been your involvement with Auckland Light Rail so far, Amanda? So I've been involved with them since they started talking to the community. So I've been to a number of meetings, have one-on-one sessions with them when it requires. We've sat down with them on a number of occasions and and talked to them about the impact in Onihanga. Um, I have a background with some of the people that are involved in the project from a previous role that I've had. So I've got some good relationships with those people and have just tried to keep up with what their plans are and making sure that they understand the business position um, at the moment in relation to my town centre members. So planned for in the best possible way um, with the addition of light rail. Yeah, and what is the business position? Um, so predominantly, so personally I support it and overall the executive committee that I report to supports it. They support any concept of bringing new customers to our town centre easily Um, and I like the idea of something coming right in and taking cars off the road and making it more accessible to people. Um, There are of course issues with 
construction and things like that, which we haven't really started talking about yet, but I'm very aware of other infrastructure projects and the impact that they've had on business communities. You're talking about the city rail link here, aren't you, and how it has caused so much disruption to businesses in central Auckland. How do you think it will affect Onihanga during construction? It's still a little unknown, um, but when it came down to the options that they supplied for Onihanga, we agreed as a executive to support the option that ran along the motorway and somehow cut through um, Princess Nielsen Street area because ultimately that has a lot less impact on our members in the town centre. We were greatly concerned that anything that cut across Onihanga Mall would make things um, disconnected for our town centre and that's the last thing that we want. And so if it's going to come through the lower end of town, what are your thoughts on that? Surely that's still going to be pretty huge in terms of impact. You know, I've recently been to the Gold Coast where they have a light rail system and the impact of that in a neighbourhood versus a roading, you know, four lanes of road or whatever it might be, is far, far less intrusive um, and much easier to have in your neighbourhood. Heavy rail would be a whole different matter, but I think light rail, in exactly what it is, is a light rail, is much quieter and much more subtle. Yeah, so that's what I understand too. So it might have a visual impact. And I've talked to them about that. So we talked about how it would come into Onihanga and where along Princess Street or Nielsen Street. And they started talking to me about how you can do really creative architectural solutions these days to bring a piece of infrastructure into a community. So it might not be what, say, I always think of Bangkok because my dad lived there for years and they had their... Um, SkyTrain network and Singapore is the same and they put it all on elevated platforms and it's quite in your face Yeah. whereas they were talking to me about integrating things into buildings and making it much more subtle than putting a whole bunch of platforms up in the air with things underneath it which I'm quite anti because it makes it unsafe underneath it so I would rather have something that was integrated and considered and you know I don't have any evidence about this but if you put something that's integrated into a mitre 10 and make it part of a building that's much more attractive than having it run through the you know on some pylons up in the air. Well whatever infrastructure is put in place it needs to be sensitive to the natural environment. Echo Janman is the founding member of the Onihunga People's Garden which is on Kiwi Rail Land on Arthur Street. Echo and her husband Paul are passionate about Anihanga, the land, its ecology and its pre-European history. They're anxious about the impact any sort of new infrastructure will have on this whenua. We've been in Anihanga for 15 years. Uh, I'm basically an academic. I'm interested in history and anthropology, so indigenous ideas and colonial history and Echo is the founder, I think, of Onihunga People's Garden because she's the one who had all the interest in botany and things and, and enthused me about gardening and botany. And she's the one that really walked the site with our first son, with her, with her baby, and realized its potential and sparked our community's interest in figuring out what we could do about it. 
Uh, and yeah, so my, my interest has been latterly in the history of the site, but I think ecology and history are really nicely entwined in that site. So how has existing infrastructure affected this site, Echo? The infrastructure that predates the closing in of the estuary is is created all sorts of ecological problems. There's numerous things that have impacted the the water quality of the Monaco created silting, closed streams. Those can be daylighted. If we're really careful about any infrastructure that comes into our community and making sure we're looking after the well-being of of our people and making sure we hold on to green spaces for our children and for future generations then you know it means that we're we're actually respecting what comes next and we've learned from the past and what do you think generally of the light rail project so I think, you know, development has to happen. We need to see change and, you know, I fully support public transport to be able to have spaces like Onihanga People's Garden where local communities can come together and meet one another to be able to share in those, you know, collective experiences, to be able to educate ourselves and our children about the natural environment when we're living in an urban space is is actually only going to be beneficial for us in the future so you know progress progress must happen but there's you know there's history and learnings that we can take on board to help us to be able to decide where and when those changes need to happen and you know we all remember the state highway 20 was built without any regard really to the natural environment well no regard yeah i mean i think what we're looking at here is you know symbolic and state highway 20 was a symbolic way of neglecting onihanga or thinking that onihanga was was a place that you know shouldn't be considered like other places and that history actually goes back a long long way into the 19th century when you know onihanga not only is a place of great streams and fishing but it's also a place of meeting and a really great community integrity and a place where people traded uh, and got on with, you know, all the potentials of the way that, you know, our communities can relate. And unfortunately, during that period of the Waikato War, the Waka were destroyed in the harbour. And, you know, a lot of those really positive relationships that had created by people like Te Whero Whero in the area were, were really badly damaged. And so, you know, to have another round of that, you know, it just increases the kind of, you know, this symbolic mm. kind of neglect, I suppose, of the significance of Onihanga in the, the West Coast areas. So what do you think about light rail coming through Onihanga? Well, we have got now State Highway 20 and... Yes, light rail should go along State Highway 20, in my opinion, because it's done. And, you know, ideally we wouldn't have it. But, yes, that's that's the argument, isn't it, for putting the light rail and, I don't know, any rail down the highway because, um, yeah, we've already had that injury, mm. I suppose. And, you know, we may as well contain it and mitigate it as much as possible. There is a, a, an almost a psychological scar from people that have lived, you know, in Onihanga for years and years and years who were saying, don't do this again. We've already lost our connection to the sea. Don't do this to us again. 
you know, make it so that it's been done for us for a change. You know, there's a feeling of sort of like you're always doing you're always doing the good things for the other side of town and the other harbour, but you don't seem to be doing anything for us, I guess, is the feeling, you know. So um, I agree with you there. It's, it's, it's definitely a sore topic. Thanks for listening to this first episode of Imbi. I hope you've ended up understanding a bit more about light rail. I certainly have. In my next episode, I look at the huge cost of light rail and why it's going to cost that much. We ask if it's worth the money and what else could we do with the same amount. I also find out about the opportunity light rail presents, not only for Unihanger, but for all of Auckland. So, follow the show on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And if you've got a few minutes to leave a review on Apple, we'd really appreciate it. I'd like to thank everybody that joined me to share their views and a big shout out to the Mangakiakia local board who funded the creation of this season. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and you'd like to reach out, I'm available on at Rach Sturge on Facebook, Instagram and X, formerly known as Twitter. Or you can email me on rachel at unihunger.fm. I'll catch you in the next episode of Imbi, in my backyard. After all, it's your backyard too.